Welcome to the party, pal. The, the Michael Duke Show. The greed and the entitlement is astounding to me. What more could you want from a low-budget radio program? This is a dumpster fire. That was just BS. It is time to get a new perspective. We know just what you need, and we've got just the cure. Open wide and prepare for a steaming hot cup of freedom. I just don't fathom it. The Michael Dukes Show, streaming live across the world. Oh, baby. Live around the world on the internet at MichaelDukesShow.com where you'll find the audio-only live stream links to our podcast, which is available on CastBox, Stitcher, uh, Apple Apple Tunes, iTunes, Apple Podcasts, Google, and, of course, Spotify, and links to our social media site, where we simulcast the radio show every day on the Internet, on Facebook, YouTube, and Twitch. Also, of course, broadcasting live, since it is a simulcast, we are broadcasting it live, on the radio, plain old terrestrial radio, right here on your favorite radio station and or FM translator. Hello and good morning to you. Hump day, middle of the week. Boy, we slogged right into this, didn't we? It took us... <laughs> I mean, again, the best thing about a three-day weekend is the four-day work week that uh, passes behind it. Here we are, Wednesday. We could see the downhill slide to Firearms Friday, and we are ready to go. <clears throat> All right, what is on today's program? Well, we got some uh, we got some good stuff here uh, planned uh, for you. In just a few moments, we're going to be diving into it with the big question. Uh, Representative Kevin McCabe is going to join us and um, and answer some questions, some pointed questions about the. Uh, uh, end of the session and the special session and his vote, which uh, has uh, raised the ire of a lot of the listenership, and uh, he'll uh, he's coming on board. Uh, God love him. He uh, he reached out and said he wanted to come on and have the discussion. So we're going to do that this morning um, and talk with him about uh, about the vote, about the end of the session, about what happened during the special session, the the road uh, projects and other things that were. Uh, dangled out there, the vote that took place, and then what is going to happen in the coming um, in the coming uh, 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 session, the second half here in January. What is that going to look like, and what does he see that uh, you know the actions of today, what the effect that's going to have down the road? Uh, so we'll have that conversation with Kevin McCabe here in just a few moments, starting at about uh, twenty or after or so. Uh, and we'll uh, we'll ask those questions and, and get answers. Get some. We'll get some answers uh, and figure out what's going on. Then in hour two, Elijah Verhagen is going to be joining us. He was a former candidate for the Senate up in the Interior, and he has uh, been been very busy since um, since. Uh, he uh, has gone through the elections and uh, lost to the incumbent Click Bishop, uh, and he has been working on an initiative, uh, a ballot proposition to uh, create term limits for the legislature. And so he's going to come on board with us and talk about that here uh, this morning in hour two, and we'll get the straight dope from him on that and continue on 
into uh, into that discussion. So that's the rundown for today. Meanwhile, this morning, we'll start off with just a few headlines and see what is um, um, we'll see what we'll see what goes goes on in your mind here as we go through this. A um, couple different things that stuck out of me. First and foremost, um, an iconic. I mean, I think it's iconic. I know people in Fairbanks. Um, I guess it's because it's iconic to me because I remember um, uh, I have memories with this and I'm, I'm talking about the Polaris building in downtown Fairbanks. Now, if you've never been to Fairbanks, the Polaris is one of the tallest structures in uh, in downtown Fairbanks. It's been there <clears throat> since uh, the 50s uh, and it was originally built as an apartment and then it became a hotel and there was a restaurant on top of it, the Tiki Cove, uh, for those of you who don't remember. That's where my memories come from. I remember uh, I took my prom date up there uh, to the Tiki Cove uh, and uh, and had dinner up there. Uh, well, I had dinner up there several times, but that's one of the more memorable ones uh, as we went up there. But the Polaris Restaurant in 2000, or the Polaris Hotel, rather, in 2001, they had a big, they had a big water main break. It was, uh, um, and they flooded the basement with like a million gallon, eight hundred thousand gallons of water or something. And the following year, it was abandoned. They just basically shuttered up and said, "Nope, we're done." And the city of Fairbanks foreclosed on it for uh, unpaid property taxes. <clears throat> and they, and there it sat for twenty years. What were they going to do with this building? Uh, mold, mildew, all kinds of problems. Uh, the building, again, built in the 50s, had plenty of stuff, including asbestos and more. Uh, they have now started the demolition. There was a $10 million earmark uh, from Lisa Murkowski. Um, because the building contained PCBs, which is polychlorinated biphenyls, that apparently is a very dangerous material uh, that uh, apparently is killing us all. Uh, but they, uh, the EPA was part of the reason that they got this $10 million earmark. So they're going to tear the whole building down and they're going to ship all the materials of the building out of state for disposal. It's not going to be, to be just, I can't even imagine what the shipping costs on something like that is going to be. You've got a, what is it? Two, four, six, eight, nine, 10, 12. It's a 10 or 11 story building. And you're going to ship every bit of it outside. Can't even imagine what the the costs on that are going to be. Anyway, $10 million is what the city is paying to have it uh, torn down. And it's going to be shipped outside. And there'll be a big gaping empty wound in the heart of Fairbanks. Um, but <clears throat> many people have been fighting for this for a long time. And uh, to try and get it uh, taken down and utilized. I'm, I mean, I'm kind of sad. I mean, it's not that... I mean, you weren't going to do anything with the building, right? I mean, it, it's a it's a hot mess. I agree with that, and uh, but it is kind of sad when you see a bit of your memories get knocked down like that and crumbled. And uh, but it's the beginning of a new era, the beginning of a new era in Fairbanks, and I'm sure they'll build a parking structure there or something. They'll do something with it. Um, I don't I don't know if there's any plans with what's going on. But since the city owns that whole, I mean, it's a almost a, 
what is it like half a city block i guess it's uh uh from it's from second to third or uh, first to second rather and halfway down Lacey street so uh i imagine that it is uh um i imagine it's uh, probably about a half of a full city block I guess we'll see what goes up there. I don't know what the plans are, but I just saw that picture and uh, the fact that it, the demolition had started. I saw last week a video of former mayor Jim Matherly uh, taking a sledgehammer to one side of the bricks on the building where they were. It was the ceremonial knocking down start of the whole thing. But it's official. It's coming down. The Polaris is uh, is going to be gone. So, to, oh, man, such good food. The Tiki Cove. I can't just, it's amazing. Just so good. All right. <clears throat> so that's my bit of nostalgia for today. Uh, the second piece uh, that caught my eye, uh, again, just reminds me of the whole situation with schools and the madness and everything else and, and the, this whole um, this whole gender inequity thing. That's going on. The state of Alaska is now proceeding with plans uh, to discuss uh, whether or not transgender students can participate in sports of the sex with which they identify, meaning boys who thinks they're girls can now participate in girls sports, even though they have a biological um, <clears throat> they have a biological uh, advantage in many of these cases. Um, you know, with strength and stamina and size and all that kind of stuff. Uh, on June 8th, the State Board of Education is is going to consider a regulation, according to the Alaska Beacon, that would bar transgender student athletes from participating in school sports and activities under their gender identity. It would limit the students to either a co-ed uh, multi-gender sports team or separate teams for each sex with participation based on the student's sex assigned at birth, meaning <clears throat> if you were born a boy or born a girl. And this really, what's interesting about this is that the, here's what I'm surprised about, about this whole thing. I am surprised that there are not more um, feminists or, you know, female equalists, equalists, equality, you know what I mean? People for going for equal rights. I'm surprised they're not more up in arms about this. Because there is, <clears throat> again, stereotypically and, and in general, men physiologically are stronger, larger, uh, have more physical stamina than women. It's just, I mean, it's why you have separate, it's why you've got the NBA and the WNBA, right? I mean, they're two separate areas of sports because they are competing differently and on different levels, not because one is better than the other. It's just a, it's a physiological thing. It's a physical thing. And I am just shocked as hell that more and more feminists are not coming out to protect, especially in the high school and the collegiate level athletes why aren't you protecting your sisters, your the uh, the females for women's empowerment, for against these biological males who come in and have been sweeping up in the powerlifting, the swimming, and all these other you know rugby and and all these other sports? Why wouldn't you be up in arms about that? I just don't understand. Well, anyway, the state of Alaska is going to put it out. The board, uh, the, the decision on June 8th is unlikely to be final. 
the board is only going to be voting on whether or not to advance the proposal to a 30-day public comment period. A yes vote means the board would consider the public comment, then approve or reject the regulation. Uh, a no vote would kill it in the short term. Uh, now, the ASSA, the Alaska Student Sports, Scholastic Sports Association, anyway, they deferred uh, the ASAA, rather, the Alaska School Activities Association. <clears throat> they had considered... Uh, putting a statewide policy together, but then later deferred it to wait for action by the state because the state has more horsepower than they do and everything else. And, of course, the usual suspects and the progressive uh, side are out there basically saying that uh, this was expected, but they're going to fight it. They're going to fight it um, because the children. Um, so all I'm, I look at this and I just go again. I'm very glad that I didn't have to put my kids through the ringer on all this kind of crazy madness that's going on out there. But June 8th is the day. Public notice was published on Sunday about this. June 8th is the day that they're going to hold the decision. And uh, I guess we'll see what the outcome of that is as well. All right. Uh, well, coming up, we got Kevin McCabe going to be joining us here in a minute. And we're going to talk with him, see what's going on. And we will continue our discussions. It is the Michael Duke Show, common sense, liberty-based, free-thinking radio. Back with more in just a moment. Don't forget, Elijah Verhagen joins us in hour two. We'll return right after this. the show you can listen to it on your time with dukes on demand oh and it's free like america used to be streaming live every weekday morning on facebook live and michaeldukesshow.com okay all right okay good morning hello uh how are you guys doing this morning how are you doing wow you guys been chatty this morning yeah, it is a little cold, like 41 degrees here at the house this morning. I'm like, <laughs> isn't this supposed to be over? I'm just saying. All right. Well, welcome to the six o'clock club here this morning. And good morning to all of you uh, here who got stuff going on. Jeffrey's got his wood stove cooking this morning. Probably could need that. It is, again, a little chilly burr. Um, uh, all right. Good morning, good morning, good morning. Uh, Bill says, good good on you, Kevin. I haven't totally lost faith in you yet. No, I don't think you should. Uh, we can all disagree or agree to disagree, but I, I don't think we should lose faith yet. Uh, was Alaska even a state when you went to the prom, says Chris? Oh, damn, son. That hurts. That was in the 80s, okay, man? I was That was a prom was like 1986 or something. I am not older than dirt. All right. Was was Alaska even a state when you went to the prom? I hate you so much right now. Um. Okay. Um. Uh. All right. Good morning. Good morning. Good morning. Um. I'm hoping summer falls on a weekend this year, says Jeffrey. <laughs> oh man. Uh, Alaska doesn't have the facility to dispose of the PCBs 
there's a good construction debris disposal site in Salter. Wonder why they aren't going there with the debris, says Brian. I, I, I don't know. They have a contract. I mean, the building is coming down right now. Um, that's going, that's, that's going on. Okay. Um, uh, turfs are real. They are speaking out. They are just a minority voice in their subculture. Turfs. What is the turf? Tell me what the turf is. T-E-R-F, Chris. Um, uh, maybe you should share some of your common sense. Okay. Um, um, all right. Is it public testimony? No, Kelly, it's not, uh, it's not, uh, public testimony. Uh, Anthony says radical feminism spends a generation spouting about toxic masculinity and equality. Next generation of males goes trans and takes over feminism. Way to reset the progress to zero people. I mean, that's exactly what my thoughts were. I'm like, wait, you guys have been going on and on about this. And all of a sudden the guys take up the banner as women. And now you're like, you're silenced. <laughs> you're silenced. I'm just like, wow. Wow. <clears throat> Okay. Um, okay. There, I'm just going through all this question. Zero tolerance. Uh, stand up about. Okay. Oh, trans exclusionary. Trans exclusionary radical feminism. Okay. Well, there you go. That's what they need. BJ Campbell has an excellent discussion on the turf force. I've got to get BJ on the program. He actually reached out to me. Um, which I'm excited to talk about. We'll see if we can get him on for Firearms Friday. All right, let's get uh, let's get things rolling, shall we? We're about a minute out here before we get uh, jumped into, so we're going to talk with uh, Kevin McCabe, who joins us this morning uh, in the chat room and is ready to go. Good morning, my friend. How are you this morning? Good morning, Michael. I'm fine. How are you? I'm a little chilly, man. I don't understand. It's like 40 freaking degrees here. It's supposed to be summer, I thought. Uh, but uh, yeah. here we are. Here we are. Just It uh, is cold. Eight inches of snow in Glen Allen, I heard. Eight inches of snow. This is after the flooding, right? I mean, this is just what they needed. Eight inches of snow after weeks of uh, flooding and wiping out the whole place. So, well, uh, that's... That's life in Alaska. If you're not, uh, you don't like the weather, just wait 15 minutes. It'll change on you. Uh, all right. Well, we're going to jump back into it here. Kevin, hold the line. Uh, we'll uh, continue. The Michael Duke Show, Common Sense, Liberty-based, free-thinking radio. Please like and share, like and follow, do the all the youtube things, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Let's get, uh, let's get ready to rock and roll. Here we go. Doing it right now. Okay, welcome back to the program. Wednesday edition of the show. We're doing some of our post-session cleanup, I guess. Just kind of getting, uh, what do they call that? The after-action review, the debrief on what was going on, what happened. Joining us this morning to discuss it 
is Representative Kevin McCabe uh, from down here in the Matsu. Uh, Kevin is uh, my representative uh, in the uh, Alaska legislature, and uh, he comes on board to talk with us quite frequently. This morning, of course, we're going to talk about that final uh, couple days of the session itself, and then the one-day surprise special session that almost ended before it began, and uh, and the kind of the, the vote that has raised the ire of some folks. And uh, Kevin has explained it a little bit in some emails. Uh, both to the constituency and then to me personally, and we've talked about it. Uh, but he wanted to come on, and, and let's have some further discussion on it, and he joins us right now. Good morning, Kevin. How are you? Good morning. How are you, Michael? You know, again, I was just saying it's a little chilly burr, but, uh, I mean, I don't know, maybe I need to put a wood stove at the studio. I just, I'm feeling a little... Feel it a little chill this morning. It's supposed to be summer, and I keep waiting for that. I just, I think somebody made the perfect comment in the chat room during the commercial break. And then he said, I hope summer falls on a weekend this year. And I'm just like, yeah, exactly. I hope it falls on a week. I'd like to have, I had exactly 10 minutes of sunshine this weekend, uh, and we, we made sure to get outside in it for the full 10 minutes. Uh, I feel pretty lucky. Um, Kevin, of course, this session was contentious. We knew it was going to be uh, from the very beginning. We could see it from the election time, the makeup, the formation of the majorities. We knew this was going to be a painful session uh, for those of us who are, I mean, we're in a minority here. And and we've come to accept that here on the program, that we're in a minority that wants smaller, more limited government. We want it to live within its means. We want it to pay the full PFD and yet still do all these other things. Uh, we knew it was going to be painful, but it was really more than we really even bargained for, right down to the end. So let's first talk about those last few days of the session after the House had transmitted their budget to the Senate. And they kept waiting with bated breath for the Senate to do the same. And, of course, that didn't happen. So walk us through the last few days here of the regular session before we uh, before we dive into the special session component of it. Sure. Well, the, you know, the uh, I mean, we transmitted the budget, the operating budget, a month before uh, the end of the session. We did so in, in good faith. Uh, we remembered as a minority two years ago when... Uh, when we didn't transmit the budget because we took 30 days to form. Remember uh, my very first session, it took us 30 days. The whole COVID thing was going on and we were 2020 and we had several votes on the floor trying to elect a speaker. And it took us 30 days before we formed the house, 30 days of a 90 or 120 day session. And and the Senate had threatened at one point that they were going to do their own budget. And so uh, you know, with that in mind, we transmitted the budget in good faith, thinking, hey, we're doing a good thing here. We're working pretty good with the Senate, even though we're not real sure of the makeup of the of the Senate. So we transmitted the budget. We held it for two weeks. It was ready to go for 10 days to two weeks before we finally transmitted it. And um, and, and so that that sort of started us down this process. Uh, which was very painful. The way it's supposed to work is we give them the operating budget. They're supposed to give us their capital budget. We each have our own input into the budgets. And then at the end of the end of the day, we come together and, and, and pass a, pass a budget. So that includes, uh, remember the constitution says one third of our budget is supposed to be a capital projects. So all of that is supposed to meld together at the end. And unfortunately the Senate opted uh, not to transmit a, 
capital budget to us. And and they asked us repeatedly, well, what do you want? Well, what do you want? Like we are the children and uh, we're just supposed to tell them what we want and then they'll put it into a budget for us. And that was uh, unacceptable to us. We wanted our own input. We wanted our own debate. We wanted it in, uh, in our committees and finance committee. And, uh, you know, that's going into it. That's what we said to each other. We're non-binding caucus. However, everybody will have input into the budget. Everybody, all 23 of us in this non-binding caucus will have input into the budget, whether it be operating budget, capital budget. And then all of a sudden the Senate took half of that away, which was a problem for us. So um, coming down to the last few days, it became painfully obvious that the Senate was going to hold on to it until the last possible moment. We thought two years ago and a year ago that time compression as a weapon was, um, uh, you know, we had sort of seen it all and little little did we know that we hadn't even, uh, we hadn't even seen the nuclear option, if you will, which was holding on to it until there was six hours left in the session. So. Right. It left you, I basically, again, painted the whole uh, House of Representatives into a corner. Um, and it was being done on purpose. We obviously know that uh, because, again, they kept coming to you saying, well, what do you want in it? We'll put it in for you kind of thing. Um, the traditional method of this, as you said, is that usually in each session it swaps, right? One one session, the House has the capital budget. The next session, the Senate has the cap. You know, it, it swaps back and forth every session. And then you guys are supposed to trade and then come together in either concurrence or creating a conference committee. That's the tradition, right? That's what the rules call for. Uh, you know, I'm not sure if that's the way the rules. It seems to me that the operating budget starts always in the House and the capital budget starts always in the Senate. That's why the Senate has control of CAPSIS uh, pr pretty much the whole time. So I don't think it necessarily swaps. The The uh, control of the conference committees swaps Swaps, okay. Okay. Right. But that's the tradition, right? The tradition is right. one side has it, they pass them back and forth, you know, we're done with ours, we give it to you, you give you ours, we either concur or we create a conference committee that hammers out the details of what we can agree on. That's been the tradition, and uh, and that's been the procedure. And this basically has abrogated that whole procedure. They apparently wanted to control the whole process even and not have a conference committee at all. That was kind of the whole point here. That's absolutely correct. They didn't want a conference committee. They don't want to conference the capital budget. And, uh, you know, unfortunately, with a non-binding caucus, it, you know, we have to have input. That's our agreement. Everybody... All 23 of us have to have input. I, I had much input into it very early on into the capital projects that I wanted and that were on the table and that were negotiated some very important stuff. Um, as you know, Talkeetna Water and Sewer, uh, Wasilla Airport, KGB Road, um, Vine Road. There's a bunch of, uh, you know, Bogard Road at Angstrom, Moose Creek Bridge, uh, Palmer Fish Hook, Fish Hook Road and Trunk Road Roundabout. There's there were a bunch of things in there that the Valley delegation was very interested in seeing completed or fixed or or that had issues that we had uh, talked about in our finance committee and talked about very early on through the CAPSIS program. And, um, you know, when we finally did get the operating budget from the Senate, none of those were in there. It was zero. The capital budget, which is supposed to be a third 
of the of the budget constitutionally was zero. And uh, so the problem is when you go to a conference committee, you can't add to the budget. So we would be negotiating from a position of zero. So the capital budget wouldn't even really necessarily, unless we did something weird, which is not unusual, but for, for this legislature, um, you know, we would have been starting from zero and we wouldn't be able to add to the capital budget. So um, the Senate transmitted very early who there, which is also abnormal. Normally you don't assign a conference committee till after the budgets are going to the conference, but the Senate in their waning moments of their regular session uh, announced their conference committee, certainly in an attempt to intimidate us. And the conference committee was Senator Olson, Stedman and Hoffman, the same three tri-chairs of their Senate finance committee. So. Now we look at that and we know that we can only assign two of our majority members to the conference committee and one of our minority members in the House. Um, so it essentially would have been four, um, four to two in the conference committee. So that was playing on all of our minds. Uh, and we had much discussion in caucus. Everybody was talking. We had hours and hours of, and I can't, you know, our agreement is not to to tell what goes on in the caucus, but I can certainly tell you what I said. I argued up until the last five minutes that we should absolutely 100% all vote no. We needed to send a message, a strong message to the Senate that uh, this was unacceptable. And that was my walking out the door of our caucus. That was my position. Um, unfortunately, it wasn't the everyone else's position. And um, so, uh, you know, in the, in the vote, I had to have a fallback position. I had right. to actually vote for those things that I negotiated. Once the once the strong caucus position, 21 people telling the Senate that we were dissatisfied and very angry, um, thinking about the conference committee, thinking about last year's conference committee where we lost seven trooper positions in the Valley, and thinking about how much I had spent, how much time I had spent negotiating on all these projects. Um, once my strong caucus position and strong caucus vote was gone, I had to vote for the projects I negotiated for. So one of the interesting, one of the other interesting aspects in their last minute uh, maneuvering, uh, including the naming of their conference committee positions, was they also included a forty million dollar provision to continue to pay salaries for people who were, if the government shutdown occurred. I mean, they were like setting the whole thing up, trying to force the hand, and it again. Well played, I guess, by the by the by the Senate. They they have uh, Bert Stedman and company have basically got this thing uh, wired tight. They know exactly what to do, what buttons to push, uh, and everything else. They were trying to set this up, uh, I think, uh, and and to basically cut off all avenues of escape uh, through either the conference committee and even if there was a potential shutdown, trying to cover their collective butts on that as well. That's a very unusual position. Well, I, you know, I agree with uh, Senator Shower. This was uh, ordained or, or put into play last summer before the elections even happened, this uh, strategy. And certainly we, um, it's unfortunate because you would think that we would be able to work together with uh, the number of Republicans in the Senate, but we're going to have to have a um, strategy going into into January. There's, there's just no two ways about it. We're going to have to have a number of meetings with our caucus if it survives this, 
and um, uh, you know figure out a strategy to move forward and how to deal with the uh, Senate that's not as friendly as we thought they were based on the number of Republicans over there. So, well, yeah, that be again. Uh, I think we should stop. Uh, I think we should stop uh, 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 breaking up the the legislature by party because at this point party doesn't matter what you've got is instead of identifying with the animal on your lapel you need to look at these people and decide are these people pro private sector or pro public sector that's really the breakdown of the legislature these days party has nothing to do with it is it pro private sector or is it pro public sector that's really the definition between the two uh uh, between the two uh, uh, sides right now in the state legislature. Um, sure. I think Ben right. Carpenter mentioned that on your program, you know, months and months ago that it's it's no longer Democrat or Republican. It's big government versus small government. Yeah, no, absolutely. Um, we're coming up on the break. We're going to take it just a bit early because I want to break down the session vote. And then I want to talk about what's going to happen in the second half uh, here in your mind. You just touched on it a bit, but we're going to continue here. In just a moment, uh, Kevin McCabe is our guest. The Michael Duke Show, common sense, liberty-based, free-thinking radio. We'll return with more and Representative Kevin McCabe right after this. Running on 100% pure beard power. Oh, also some coffee. We dip our beard in coffee. Ha, <laughs> nice beard. The Michael Duke Show. All right, we're in the break right now. Kevin McCabe is our guest. Um, we're talking about the session and uh, things like this. Um, I mean, I, I think this is a legitimate question. Um, Kevin, uh, you say you saw this strategy coming a year ago, but you weren't able to do anything to set this right. I mean, you saw this right after the, he, you said the, that uh, Stedman and company were setting this up from the very get go. Did you not anticipate, uh, your fellow coalition members capitulating or, I mean, what, you know, what, what could have been done in hindsight? Of course, hindsight's perfect, right? Uh, so what, what could you have done in hindsight, to to stop this if you saw this coming so to speak oh i'm sorry let me uh let me unmute you that's me i muted you so there you go sorry about that go ahead yeah no worries so um i, I mean in retrospect i shouldn't have said i saw it coming i said well, i think what i said is senator shower said on your show the other day that in his opinion um they had been planning this since last summer the senate had i didn't necessarily see it um, you know, in fact, I, I thought that we were going to get more um, Republicans elected. I would have thought uh, Tuckerman Babcock had a good shot. And, um, you know, so I didn't necessarily see it. But there were others in the Senate looking back on it that that saw or that planned this. What could we have done uh, about it? With a non-binding caucus and without going through what we just went through and seeing how we were treated, uh, we probably could have done nothing about it. We probably wouldn't have been able to come up with a strategy because there were people and there are people still um, in our non-binding caucus that don't uh, necessarily think that the Senate did uh, did much wrong. So 
um, that's the, the that's just the way it looks with uh, with this caucus. You know, as close as the as close as we are um, in the uh, in you know, it, it'd be different if we had twenty seven full blown conservative small government Republicans to work with, but we don't. We have a mix of people, and we don't quite have. Um, exactly what we need to move forward with with the very conservative vote so we have to negotiate <clears throat> is it uh you know and and i i gotta ask the question because we just talked about it you know that the you know you thought you being the 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 majority in the house thought that because they were uh because they were republicans you thought that they would be more sympathetic to your causes or your beliefs or your your strategy or whatever how how much of this has to go back to the parties, uh, you know, to the feet of the party to say, we need to be asking some deeper questions about our candidates that are being endorsed and are getting monies and doing all this from the party. I mean, if the party platform, which is supposed to be smaller, more limited government, continues to be thrown by the wayside, how much of this needs to be laid at the feet of the party to say, we shouldn't be endorsing or maybe we should be seeking out alternative candidates that are more loyal to the party platform itself, et cetera, et cetera. Well, you know, this is just Kevin's opinion, but I think it's a, almost 100%. In my opinion, the party has failed and the districts have failed in their jobs. It's not the district's jobs to send resolutions and to drive legislation when we're in session. The district, the Republican Party districts, it's their job to find and vet candidates that will that will advance what they what they believe you know if you have a very conservative district such as my district they find and they vet a candidate and then send him to uh you know get him elected and send him to juno that's the district's job it's not the district's job to send a bunch of resolutions to uh you know threatening or whatever um at the end of the day their job is to get conservatives elected and and they're not fundraising they're not holding debates none of them are you know, out of all the districts um, that are out there, um, I don't think any of them held any debates. Maybe on the Kenai somewhere there was a, there was a debate held by a district, but certainly not in my district. You know, the debates have to be held by the Chamber of Commerces or the women's clubs, but certainly not the districts. And the districts should be out calling and fundraising and vetting candidates, asking them. When I went, when I first got elected, I had to sit in front of the district. Um, you know, three years ago and say and, and give my responses to all of the pub Republican Party platform. The guy I ran again didn't or didn't have to do that. But um, so I think we need a viable procedure as Republicans and conservatives to properly vet candidates. But that's sort of just my opinion. Well, I mean, it's hard when, the, again, the party itself doesn't even seem to be penalizing people who are, again, blatantly violating the platform. Uh, again, of a smaller, more limited government who are with, a, with a whole system that's disconnected from the, uh, you know, when the public and private economies are disconnected from each other, as we've talked about with, with Rob Meyer. All right. Well, hold on the line here, Kevin. We're going to come back to you here in just a second. <clears throat> we're going to uh, uh, we're going to get back into it here and continue the Michael Duke show. Please, if you haven't liked and followed the show or subscribe and ring the bell on YouTube, if you do that, that would be great. Uh, that would be a good, good thing. I would appreciate that. We're going to continue right now. Common Sense Radio.
Okay, we're continuing now. Kevin McCabe is our guest, uh, GOP uh, state rep for the Matsu. And we're talking about the final days of session, and now we're going into the special session itself. It was a surprise. It was one day. Uh, we got a vote for concurrence right away. And, uh, Kevin, you have written about why you voted the way you voted, because you said you were a no vote right out the door, right up until the minute that it hit the floor. And then when you said when you saw that uh, there wasn't going to be enough votes to stop the concurrence, you decided to vote for it. Um, And you said because it was about relationships and you negotiated some stuff and we had $10 million worth of stuff in the capital projects budget for the Matsu and that you had to vote for that in that way. So give me that real quick because I'm gonna I'm gonna tell you why I disagree with you, but I want you to be able to have your say first as to why you did it in your own words. So I'm not uh, I'm not uh, you know fumbling it here. Sure. Well, it, you know it's <clears throat> it's a little bit more than that. So last year and two years ago, right? Uh, uh, you know some of the discussion. Uh, you know, I would say, well, I, you know, the Big Lake Road, you know, we need Big Lake Road, but I don't want you to hold it hostage. And the answer always came back from the senators. Well, you're not going to vote for the budget anyway. So why would we care about you? The seven trooper positions that came didn't were removed in the conference committee last year. Um, you know, I, I said, well, why were those removed? I, you know, I, and they said, well, you're not going to vote for the budget anyways, because you're a full PFD guy. So um, why would we care? about you, Kevin? Why would we care about KGB Road? Why would we care about um, the Hollywood and Vine roundabout? Why would we care about Bogard Road, Big Lake Road, Church Road, Pavement, um, some of the roads up north? Why would we care about those? You're going to vote no on the budget anyway. So, um, you know, that's playing through my mind. The conference committee is playing through my mind. There's lots of things that weren't necessarily bribes, but they were things that I negotiated put into capsules, talked to the senators about, uh, talked about how they were important. The, the uh, uh, you know, I, I think somebody in the chat room is, was laughing yesterday about how the uh, Talkeetna sewer and water couldn't compare to, to school funding. And, you know, I can't disagree more. I mean, there's 1,199 people in Talkeetna that are suffering because of the E. coli in the water. And they've been um excluded from village safe water for years because they're seen as a not a village because they don't have native uh, connotation you know an off the road system and they're sort of seen as a tourist village uh that really doesn't have a place in the village safe water act so they've been excluded from the village safe water act by definition by the population definition for decades and they've had water problems for decades when their river floods and it floods out all their septic systems and, and the sewer system. Nobody seems to care, but when there's a village in the interior off the road system that floods and they have an issue, we have an emergency declaration. So I wanted to solve the, the um, Talkeetna water and sewer problem. And I uh, have a bill in to do that, to change the Village Safe Water Act that's headed to the Senate. Uh, so I have lots of things at play here with the senate at least two bills in the senate right now waiting for a vote uh, waiting for the senate to hear them as well as all the you know the i'm also being derided for the snow track funding that i didn't put in any bill for that that's already in the budget what i did do is change it from 
DNR to DOT to get it away from the, the DNR who wants to use the snowmobile licensing money for the long trail. So we're taking licensing money from a uh, um, licensing a vehicle, a motorized vehicle, and we're going to spend it on a trail that uh, that has no ability for motorized vehicles. So um, that that's what I did with the snow track funding. I I get a lot of uh, hassle over that. Oh, where you just want money for the trails in Big Lake, and that money's already there. It's nothing that I did. It's been there since 1996. So. Uh, I just want to move it from one department to another. So anyways, lot, lots of things in the air, lots of balls in the air. I get that, uh, you know, the message to the Senate uh, was the stronger message. I totally agree with that. Had, had my caucus agreed with that, um, I would have been right there. I would have been the 21st vote. That's why, that's why I specifically waited. You can watch the vote. I am the last person to vote. Well, this is, and so this is what gets me. First of all, you were the last person to vote. So it was going to pass anyway. Uh, so that was the one question. Um, I mean, if it was going to pass anyway, it would have seemed from a, even from a political, from a purely political standpoint, it would have been better to vote against it for that reason, just to be able to stand your ground on the whole uh, PFD issue. Because now we've, they've taken 75% of the PFD moving forward. That's That's the big thing. But the whole thing that got me on this whole thing was the abrogation of the process. The process, which is we pass our budget to you, you pass our budget to us, we either concur or we have a conference committee, we work it out. Even if the in the end, and it gone through conference committee and the budget was actually worse, I would have been better with that than the fact that we basically <clears throat> gave in to, I mean, it was a hostage negotiation or a terrorist situation or whatever you want to say. We basically rewarded them for bad behavior. We have rewarded them for abrogating the process by agreeing to it and giving them more leverage to know, oh, this works. So we'll do it again. We can expect probably moving forward that this will continue to happen. And that was my biggest problem with this, Kevin. I understand your rationale for what you're talking about, the, you know, the, the different projects and the things. And, you know, yes, holding KGB hostage. I live on KGB. I've seen how bad that road is. Uh, you know, the Tal Keaton thing, all those things. Again, legitimate concerns, but at the same time, they basically submarined and tore asunder the entire process. And a yes vote, in my mind, is a question, you know, okay, and not in a wink. Okay, that's fine. You can do that. And I agree with it kind of thing. And that's what bugs me about this. Not even the, the setting the monetary portions of the budget aside, the fact that we gave the thumbs up to the abrogation of the process through this is what really killed me. And especially since you were the last vote, you knew it was going to pass anyway. You could have done it as a protest at that point. Sure. And I, and I don't disagree with that, but uh, I looked at it and said, is this going to be a futile, futile protest? Is it going to matter? Is my vote going to send a message to the Senate or not? If it, if it had mattered, if I was the 21st vote and it went to the, and we went to conference, the Senate's answer was, "Well, we will. Uh, we'll see you in uh, in 27 days, and we're going to do the same exact thing." So, I didn't think that the protest was worth uh, losing my ability to negotiate uh, in my in the bills that I have in the Senate as well, and my ability to negotiate for next year. So, and I can't tell you, Michael, the number of people 
that have come up to me and said, thank you for passing the budget. We don't like special sessions. Um, you know, I'm, I'm like you guys, I'm in this chat room all the time. I'm as conservative as you are. Unfortunately, that's not the same out in the real world. Um, in, in many places in Wasilla, uh, I've had more people thank me for voting the way I did than, um, than uh, give me a hassle about it. And I get that there's 60 to 100 people in here between here and YouTube that um, are as conservative as I do and they don't agree with the vote. But I am telling you, you were exactly right when you said we must be in the minority a couple months ago. Um, because we are in the minority. Conservative, small government people right now are in the minority. I've said that on your show before. Out of the dozens and dozens of people that came into my office, there was one group, um, Americans for Prosperity, that came in and said, cut the budget. Everybody else wants money. So I have to represent 18,335 people, and the majority of them don't like special sessions. They agree that we need to get past they they said yep you lost the senate boxed you in the corner you lost so the best thing to do is move forward rip the band-aid off if you will that's an another uh thing that i heard from many of my uh, uh fellow caucus members you know in discussions not in caucus but out in the hall hey maybe it's time to rip the band-aid off admit that we lost move forward and live to fight another day that was another uh phrase so do you lose the battle because you want to or do you lose the war because you have to win the battle or do you think about next year and do you think about how you are going to be perceived when you try to negotiate another project that it needs to be done next year so well, that yeah i mean ultimately i guess this will be decided uh, you know once the elections roll back around and everything else that'll be decided but uh i mean it, it's frustrating i understand why you took the votes intellectually i understand it i mean i think your justifications are are i think they are just but at the same time i'm glad i'm not a legislator because i would have made the wrong call according to you i would have voted no but that's just me because i don't like people i don't like people holding me hostage and holding me over a barrel uh, and then bribing me, bribing, you know, bribing me on the way out kind of thing to say, well, if you want these things, you got to do what I say kind of thing. Um, final thoughts here. Last couple minutes, the upcoming session. What does it look like? I mean, is this going to be a game of chicken right down to the end where nobody passes the budget to each other until the last six hours? And that's what it's going to look like. What do you think is going to happen here? Um, it certainly could be. A lot depends on if our if the caucus, if the House majority manages to hold together. There's lots of uh, um, there's lots of ideas out there. Lots of people that uh, um, you know they voted they voted no based on my arguments, and they're very upset with me. They're very upset with ten of us that voted that voted yes. Although we knew going into at least five of us were going to vote yes, which put the whole the whole deal at risk. We knew that. Um, we knew it was a very tenuous uh, position. So the caucus is um, is going to take some healing if we're going to move forward. Unfortunately, Kathy Tilton is the person to do it. And, and I think that uh, I think that ultimately we'll be fine, but we certainly do need a strategy going forward, whether it be um, holding on to the operating budget till we get the capital budget. But remember two, two, three years ago when we were, well, when we were forming, the Senate said, well, we'll just do our own operating budget. So um, if we hold on to the operating budget, what's the chances are that they're going to do their own? And then when they get when they get ours, they're just going to put theirs in the in the into play. So 
there's there's a number of things we could do. We're talking about all of them. Um, you know, I don't want to transmit any of the strategy that's out there so far, but um, you know, the house is not powerless, but it, it we have to stay together and and we have to find a way to come to some agreement when you right. have 23 disparate people how it, without a binding caucus how do we agree on the best strategy going forward uh kevin mccabe our guest the michael duke show we're out of time common sense liberty-based free thinking radio thank you for being here back with more right after this Well, Kevin, why don't we take a why don't we take a page out of their book if that's the case? Why don't why doesn't the House create their own budget uh, for the operating and the capital if that's the case? I mean, if it because if that's the next move is the, if the next move is the House retains their budget and holds onto it like the Senate does, and the Senate says fine, we'll just make our own budgets. I mean, you know, uh, again, goose for the gander. We continue to get played uh, by the Machiavellian moves of Stedman and Company over there. I mean, if that's what we got to do, fight fire with fire. And if it ends up in a stalemate and we end up, you know, coming up to a government shutdown because you can't do it. Well, so be it, because that's part of the problem here. Uh, and I know that you've mentioned several times that this is what a non-binding caucus looks like. I don't think we need a binding caucus to blackmail people into doing the strategy. I mean, people got to re- recognize the right thing eventually. Uh, the Senate is, you know, and, and, and somebody's got to call out. I mean, I know it's not collegial and everything else to... But I mean, at some point you got to call people out and say this is unethical. This is this is breaks the rules. It breaks the tradition of the legislature. We're not supposed to be doing this, and <clears throat> that kind of stuff needs to be called out instead of just winking a nod and going along going along with it because we're gonna you know we're gonna get something in the end out of it. That's the frustrating part of this whole thing from the outside looking in. I mean, I'm not there luckily because again, I would have made the wrong call apparently. Well, so I, I couldn't agree with you more, but the, you know, in fact, in my newsletter, I say I must express my disappointment and anger at the Senate's treatment of the House majority. Their process was reprehensible, completely undermining the budget process and denying the House an equal right uh, to represent our districts. But when my people, the people in this chat room, spend all their time criticizing me and not reading the newsletter, not understand, trying to understand the process, you know, it, it it becomes a little bit of a futile exercise uh, for me to put put that together because people don't read it. People don't under, take the time to try to understand. They just uh, disagree completely. You've even seen uh, messages in the chat room this morning that people that collude with the Democrats. Well, David Eastman voted with the Democrats many times. In fact, he was actually actively... Um, advising them, the Democrats in the House, against us, the Republican majority. So, uh, you know, I I just don't know how to solve that when we spend more time shooting shooting inward than we do um, shooting outward, if you will. So um, that's that's going to have to be an individual individual decision from um, from constituents, I guess. Yeah. You know, if they. If they want to support us and help us through this and find a find a path forward, that's great. If not, then we'll just continue to be the Republicans that we are and have the circular firing squad. I mean, when it comes down to it, I mean, I think, again, one of the major sticking points of this whole thing is the party not putting candidates in there that I mean, because that's the thing we've changed out. I mean, a full third of the legislature in the last few years. I mean, right. But unfortunately, we've got a handful of the same players that are in there 
pulling the levers of the machine because they know how to do it. They've been there for 20 years. They know the procedures and who can, who, where they can apply pressure or what they can do. And they're winning at every turn. They're winning at every turn. You can go back over the last five years. You could look at the machinations and see that they've gotten everything that they've wanted. They've done almost every maneuver and gotten almost every single thing that they've wanted. And we, we've got to up our game. We've got to up our game on this if that's the case. And, and I don't know, fight fire with fire, do the, you know, do the, the, do we get sneaky and underhanded? What do we do here? Something's got to change because what's going on is not working. Sure. And then, you know, the true conservatives, we don't have the hive mentality that uh, the big Republic or the big government Republicans and the big government Democrats do um, where they all want to work together and create this big utopia. We we're not like that. We all have our own individual ideas. We have our own way of doing things. And, and if we can't convince the other folks that have their own way of doing things and their own individual ideas of the process going forward, then then how do we you know how do we put it together we absolutely need a strong leader we need somebody that can um, that can bring all 23 of us together with the, the wildly disparate mentality that the that the 23 of us have in the cockpit or in the caucus and uh, and try to lead us forward in some sort of cohesive manner but it's going to take uh, a lot of discussion and a lot of leadership there's no doubt well, <clears throat> we can only hope that the next half of the session looks different than this half of the session because, as we knew, again, we knew going in that it was going to be bad. It was going to be tough. Uh, I guess in the long run, we just didn't know how bad, how tough, how ugly uh, it was going to be. Um, Kevin, I appreciate you coming on. Again, uh, I would have made a different decision, but I wasn't there. Um and so, uh, again, while I respect your reasoning behind it, I, I mean, I still disagree with the with the final vote. But we'll see, I guess, how this plays out and what that means in the next session. Do they treat you nice in the next session because you did it the one time, or do they still treat you with disdain and uh, and dangle you in on the end of the hook out there, uh, knowing that you're going to want more for your district and do the same thing over again? Again, that I guess we're going to have to wait and see how that plays out when it's all said and done. Sure, I get that, and 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 now they don't really know. I'm not pigeonholed. They don't know how I'm going to vote. So, it would uh, it would seem to me that they would approach Kevin with a little bit more of a um, less of a of an idea that this is how he's going to vote anyways. You know, he's going to vote against it anyways. Well, maybe not. Maybe I won't vote against it. And you know, at the end of the day, it's our job as legislators to pass a balanced budget. That's the whole reason we go down there. And we need to find a path forward. They need to find a path forward. They need to come to me and say, what's it gonna take this time for you to vote for it, Kevin? And you know, maybe I have demonstrated that. And I, I certainly hope so. Well, I appreciate otherwise it was yeah. Otherwise, it was a waste. Yeah, no. I mean, I appreciate you coming on, Kevin. I mean, I, you know, uh, again, I think your heart's in the right place. Uh, I think you're trying to do well for your constituency. Um, again, I may not have made the same decision, but, uh, you know, you've done it and you're out there and we'll see how it plays out. We're gonna, that's that's the bottom line. We're going to see how this plays out uh, in the in the long run. Thank you for coming on board and joining us this morning. Kevin McCabe, our guest. Uh, appreciate you being part of the program today. Absolutely. Thank you, Michael. All right. Thank you. Uh, Kevin McCabe uh, with us here this morning uh, on the program. 
Uh, getting ready to jump into it, uh, Elijah Verhagen, right now. The, the Michael Dukes Show. The greed and the entitlement is astounding to me. What more could you want from a low-budget radio program? This is a dumpster fire. That was just BS. It is time to get a new perspective. We know just what you need, and we've got just the cure. Open wide and prepare for a steaming hot cup of freedom. I just don't fathom it. The Michael Dukes Show, streaming live across the world. Live around the world on the internet at MichaelDukesShow.com and across the state of Alaska on this, your favorite radio station and or FM translator. It is The Michael Dukes Show, hour two of the big radio broadcast for this uh, hump day, Wednesday, middle of the week. Thank you for coming in and joining us. We just finished up with Kevin McCabe. Got a little long-winded there in the break, uh, asking some more questions. A uh, very frustrating position. I mean, I'll be honest with you, a very frustrating position. I understand, uh, as I said earlier, I understand all the justifications behind it. Uh, I understand the reasoning. I still think, again, uh, the wrong call. And I mean, I would not have made that call. Again, this is probably why I would never make a good legislator for all those reasons. Um, because, again, I just I feel like the abrogation of the process was the biggest thing. But we'll move on from that. We're going to talk a little bit now about maybe a solution for fixing part of this problem. As we were saying earlier, we've changed out a third of the legislature in the last year uh, or in the last uh, couple of years. We've changed out over a third of the legislature, yet we continue to have the same problems. And part of that is because we've got a, a group of folks, a small group of folks who have they know the system inside and out. They've got the institutional knowledge. They know where the proverbial bodies are buried, and they know how to work the system. Uh, and they've done that, and they've used that uh, institutional knowledge and that that you know twenty years of experience as a professional politician to be able to manipulate the system and to basically make everybody else kowtow to what they do. And part of that is because they've been there forever. They and and so we need to start to talk about something maybe that could fix part of this, and that would be term limits. Joining us now this morning to talk specifically about that is Elijah Verhagen, who is uh, putting together or working on a um, a ballot initiative, a ballot proposition that would create just that term limits for. Uh, the Alaska legislature, which, again, I couldn't think of a better uh, way to do things. Our Elijah Verhagen joins us this morning to discuss it, and uh, he's muted, but he'll uh, uh, we'll uh, we'll talk with him right now. Good morning. How are you, Elijah? Good. How are you, Michael? Good to talk to you. Good, good. Thanks for coming on board and uh, and joining us this morning. Um, Elijah, I mean, we were just talking about the 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 absolute poo parade that this last session half of the session the first half of the session was and how i mean we don't even know what's going to happen in the second half of this session i mean it could be i mean it could be even worse with what's going on because now everybody could hold on to their budgets or make their own or do whatever uh and this is a this is a mess in the making again of some of the maneuvering of these professional politicians who've been in the legislature for years uh, I know you fought back against this. This is why you tried to run for the Senate in this last go around. Um, but that was a steep hill to climb. Obviously, you couldn't make it over the special interest money and everything else. 
So let's talk about uh, state term limits and your thoughts on how it can fix the problem that we're dealing with and what efforts you're putting forward in this. Yeah. So, um, and, and I was listening to your last little conversation there and, you know, I, I'm with you, Michael, like I would have voted no. Um, it's just really frustrating when I feel like, you know, the house was in a fight with a big bully, the Senate, you know, and it's like, okay, for a little bit, you got a reprieve. They got the budget back and within a day, all of a sudden they, you know, some enough caved back into the bully and then expecting the bully to be nice later. It's just, I don't know. I've not seen that that ever works out well for the person who's not the bully. So, right. Well, <laughs> I mean, that's a, that's the perfect, that's the perfect analogy because again, you know, a bully, you, you can either it's appeasement and you hope that they treat you well or you punch them in the nose and they know that they're going to have to respect you. It's not it's not it's not that you don't you don't appease them and say, geez, I hope they treat me nice the next time around we meet because you've already shown them that you're weak and willing to give in to their appeasement. And, and that, I think, is the perfect analogy. Yep. Yep. So, yes, um, I have been working on this for a while. Um, it's something that I've been thinking about for years and not just me, but term limits has always, I feel like, been a popular topic and not necessarily just among conservatives or Republicans. Um, so this last go around, I was running for state Senate. I knocked over a thousand doors just myself. And I met a lot of people um, talking with them uh, about uh, you know all sorts of topics throughout the state. But one resounding recurring topic that kept coming up was, man, we really need term limits. And um, and we really do, because some of these, like you said, some of these politicians have been in there for over 20 years. Some of them, there's probably at least, I need to actually sit down and count them up, but there's probably at least seven or eight that have been in there over 20 years. And so making a career out of this, which they have, um, those most of those right now are in the Senate and most of them all just got their way. You know, most of the people that we that are really actually standing behind their conservative, uh, their their um, constituents and are actually fiscal conservatives still and all these other things. They're not the people that have been in there for 20 years. So anyways, um, I've been really thinking about this. And after the campaign was over, I, I was like, you know, we really people we can talk all we want till we're blue in the face, but action is harder but it needs to happen. And so what can we do? And so I, I got together with some other um, people that have ran for office and have been hearing the same thing. We've been talking about this. So I got together with uh, Heath Smith down in Homer. Uh, he ran against Gary Stevens uh, for Senate. And then I was, and then I was talking with uh, Trevor Shaw, a friend of mine from Ketchikan, who's also a true conservative and has helped out in the party a lot and also ran uh, years ago against Dan Ortiz. Uh, all of us have really heard over the past years from the people that we were uh, hoping to represent how important term limits would be. And so we got together, we took some a little bit of language from several different states that have passed state term limits, and we created uh, an initiative that we now um, are right about to turn into the lieutenant governor's office. Um, and what this would do, it's not term limits. For people like Lisa Murkowski, we wish. <laughs> Many people have asked me that. And we're like, nope, unfortunately, they're the ones that have to put it on themselves or you have to go through a whole convention of states. But as much as I would love that, that's not what we're talking about. We're talking about 
term limits on our state legislators, which is also very, very crucial and important in my opinion. And so what this would do is after 12 consecutive years, any person who was serving in the House or the Senate for a cumulative 12 years will have to take a mandatory six-year break. Now, a six-year break really, I feel like, alone will dramatically improve or help the help the uh, solve the problem because six years later you lose a lot of name recognition you don't have all the political or, or the funding financial funding that you've had um when you're the incumbent for year after year after year and therefore you know if that person were to rerun six years later if they really had done a really darn good job the past you know 12 years earlier six years earlier then maybe they would be able to beat out at that point a six-year incumbent. Um, however, I feel like most would not, and so it's giving the it's turning the legislature back into more of what it should be, which is a citizen legislature. It should not be a career, which so many have turned it into. And and then after that, six years has lapsed. Um, if someone were to get reelected, they can serve another eight years, is how we wrote it, and then they have a a lifetime cap at 20 years. So that lifetime cap already would make, once enacted, would make a lot of these um, 20 plus year senators uh, ineligible to run and be elected again or be appointed or um, that wording is in there as well. So um, that alone would really, really fix the problem in our state of um, kumbaya, Republicans joining Democrats like they've done over and over again at the expense of what the people that elected them were wanting and hoping. Um, and then they, like you said, they know how to use the system very well inside and out. I've seen all sorts of stuff working as a staffer in Juno, And sometimes it happens late at night when they're in a conference committee. And, and this time they didn't even go to a conference committee because they didn't right. want to lose potentially the numbers in the house with a battle in a conference committee. And so what they did this time was, was just, wow, <laughs> it was sneaky and it really hurt in my opinion, the state and, and our people. Well, and I think if you look at historically, I mean, the founding fathers never intended the job of a legislator, either at the national or the state level. They never intended it to be a career. They never intended it to be, you know, I mean, these were doctors and lawyers and farmers and, and you know, chemists and all these different. They wanted to go down, do the job of the people and then get out and go back to work. And we've made it so lucrative and so and, and, you know, and again, people, uh, there's a there's a power uh, component to this as well, uh, where there's people out there who basically are just glomming onto power and the more power they can control, the better that they are, and the more that they want kind of thing. We're seeing that more and more to where this has become. A, I mean, I've I've ran into people. We have people in our Senate right now who I know um, uh, who basically started off super young and said, yep, I'm going to be this is what I want to be for a living. I want to be a professional politician. I'm going to be your state rep or senator or whatever from now until the time you you pry me out of office. And that, quite honestly, is scary to me. I don't want people who want to be professional. I want people who have a job. They want to get back to their job. They want to get it done. They want to get the work of the, of the people done and then go back to their regular lives. And unfortunately, that dynamic over the last hundred, especially the last hundred years, has changed completely. These people are all about doing this professionally. And unfortunately, the institutional knowledge, 
the insider uh, knowledge that they have, the power from behind the scenes, things we don't even know or understand as outsiders, uh, has given them the opportunity to play this game to this, you know, this grandmaster level. The rest of us are like kindergartners playing against a grandmaster, and it's just, it's unfortunate. This seems to be the only solution to that. Yeah. Yep. And so, uh, unfortunately, we, we really wished that we could get this in the Constitution. And un unfortunately, an initiative by the people cannot cannot go into the Constitution, which is a darn shame. However, if passed, um, this I, I really do will think will help the problem. So currently, there's 16 states that have enacted term limits on state legislators. And uh, just the most recent one was in January of this year, 2023, North Dakota. Uh, they enacted state term limits and uh, they did very similar language as the one that we did uh, or the initiative that we wrote up and um, combined. I was looking at some numbers a while uh, a couple months ago and even before North Dakota combined um, some of these other states that have had term limits, term limits in for a while. They have term limited over 5000 state legislators combined in these you know, 15 other states. So that's 5,000 people that would have kept going if they didn't get stopped by their people right. saying, oh, no, no, we want term limits. And uh, and that's something that I really think can help our, uh, our, our people in the state as well is, um, especially with the fiscal, you know, spending. Right. Well, fr um, fresh blood and yeah. fresh, fresh blood and fresh ideas is good. Even if the people in those areas send back somebody who's, you know, appears to be a clone of the one that's currently in there, there will be at least some fresh ideas that come out of that. I mean, right. At least it will force the people to think instead of just rubber stamping, oh, this guy's been here. He's been good. We'll just keep going on. At least it will force people to think a little bit more and give uh, and give again some fresh bloods, some fresh ideas and a new starting point for many of these people so that nobody gathers too much power unto themselves. I mean, because it we see now i mean we've been talked the last few years about how there's a handful of people in the legislature that seem to control everything because of longevity and knowledge and everything else and now it's not even just a handful we've got like three or four people that are basically controlling 60 with their behaviors and their attitudes and that's this is the only way to stop it at this point i think yeah yeah so honestly i feel like um the the two initiatives uh this one as well as uh getting rid of ranked choice voting I think these two things have passed, and if we can get these on our ballot, this will help our state more than any one person getting elected is going to help, you know, or, or even two or three, you know. Um, these two things, getting back to a primary where we don't have um, fake conservatives running that have, you know, like in my last race, someone who had, we had no Democrat in our race, and so someone who was definitely not a conservative in my opinion not even a republican who runs and has half of their support or more that's you know democrats voting for them you know it, it, working with democrats is fine but voting like democrats when you're elected by you know republicans right. is not fine or saying that you're a republican and then you vote like a democrat and joining right away and giving more power to the opposite party right after you take office is very just it's dishonest it's dishonest yeah. with people of the state of alaska and that's exactly what happened in the senate you know you had people that were unwilling to work with other republicans they shoved three of them in a closet 
and they gave the power, you know, there, I think there was, there was eight of them and ended up giving the power to nine, you know? And so, so anyways, they held more or less positions than uh, the other side. And so it's like, you know, working with the other side, that's not a problem. Giving them the power right when the Republicans elected you, that is the dishonesty. And that's the, the thing where I feel like the longer and longer that you're in office, and I've seen this, and, I, and you have, and many, many of us in the state have, you get out of touch with your people yeah. that elected you. Oh, absolutely. And, and, Abs- absolutely. And then, Hold the line here. Don't yeah. go anywhere. We're gonna we're coming up on the break. We got more coming up. Elijah Verhagen is our guest. We're gonna talk more about their initiative to create term limits for the state legislature. We'll return with more in just a moment. The Michael Duke Show, Common Sense Radio. Regularly heard on American radio. Elijah Verhagen is our guest. Uh, the Michael Duke Show continues. We're in the break right now. Uh, I got to ask you, Elijah. I mean, uh, it is the same question that I asked Kevin earlier uh, during the break, which was, you know, how much of this is can be laid at the feet of the party? I mean, the party in the state of Alaska, the Republican Party, is what I'm talking about specifically is so dysfunctional. I mean, you've got, in your race specifically, you've got a candidate who's censured by his own district, who 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 is, you know, the, the leadership of his district is unhappy with the behavior, with the performance, everything else, censured, and yet at the same time, Republican leadership breaks him off a big chunk of money to run, uh, you know, against another Republican candidate who has got the bona fides and, you know, all, it, it just it it blows my mind how much it can be laid at the feet of the party and how much does the Republican Party need to get their own house in order in this state? Uh, aside from the whole term limit thing, I mean, shouldn't that also be an angle of attack that that uh, Republicans are taking in this state? Absolutely. You know, <laughs> it was. Frustrating is an understatement, but talking with, I mean, our current party chair and others that literally gave, without them even asking, without them even asking, gave my opponent, gave Gary Stevens, others that that did not need the money and treated the, the Republican Party just as a, a means to an end in some aspects, you know, and then they gave them money and not only money, but like a decent chunk of money. It was shameful, outright shameful, especially with local districts. We're always talking in our party about grassroots and, you know, how great that is. And that is true. But when the top leadership of the state completely ignores the will of the local districts, steamrolls us and the person that's been endorsed or the people that have been endorsed by their local, you know, districts and et cetera, and they're fighting for that person. And the top leaders are like, hey, we don't want to rock the boat. We want to help these, you know, people that are completely have disregard compared to our platform, our policies. Don't come to any of our events, anything. We're going to, we're going to just, you know, give them money and completely ignore, actually tell me and others, you have to work for our approval 
for us to give you some money, even though the SEC endorsed me, even though our local districts endorsed me and not my opponent. You have to go prove yourself before we give you any money. We're going to give it to your opponent who didn't even ask, who doesn't need it. It's completely broken. And we we need more people when you know when you're talking, please tell people to please get involved, run for their district chairs, run for state Republican offices. It's a lot of work. Um, and it's a lot of, oh man, um, you don't get much, uh, uh, gratitude or, or, uh, it's a thankless job. Right. There's no, there's no kudos and accolades for doing all that stuff. Yeah. But we have, um, we have some great, uh, district chairs that I know of wonderful ones. And then we have a lot of not so great people running the state Republican party in our, right. and it's just, man, it's beyond frustrating. Well, so absolutely doing what we can to get more people involved in their Republican districts to then go to the state convention and replace who we have would be great. Yeah. I mean, we look with, there needs to be a revolution inside of the Republican party in this state. It seems like the district chairs are all, you know, doing God's work down in the trenches, so to speak at the grassroots level. And most of them are, you know, are, but, and it seems like the, the, the statewide leadership is all basically giving all the districts the finger and saying, well, we don't care what you think because we know better than you. I mean, they're all at that point serving, you know, they suffering from the politician's disease. That's exactly what's, I mean, it's like giving Mike Shower's opponent money showers, the incumbent is it, you know, this is just, it, it it's an, it's a, a ongoing problem that I think needs to be addressed uh, by Republicans in this state. That's uh, 100%. All right, 20 seconds out. Going to rejoin here. Uh, Elijah Verhagen is our guest. The Michael Duke Show, Common Sense Radio. Please like and share this no matter where you're looking at it. Follow the show page on Facebook. Subscribe, ring the bell on YouTube. Let's get to it, shall we? Uh, Right now. The Michael Duke Show. Not your daddy. Wait, sorry. Not your daddy? Ooh, not your daddy's talk radio. Huh. Whew. I was scared for a second. Thought we were going down. Here's Michael Dukes and the show. Yep, the show. That's me, Michael Dukes. Uh, joining me this morning, Elijah Verhagen, former candidate for a state senate. Now, uh, uh, one of the authors of a citizen's initiative to uh, create state term limits and uh, in the here in the state of Alaska. And uh, we're going uh, continuing on this path here now, talking with him about the genesis of that and where it goes from here. Uh, Elijah, a couple of questions. One of the questions from the chat room that I saw after you just kind of lined out, you know, kind of how what what the language is of it and everything else. The big question 12 years, have to take a six-year break, then they, they're they allowed eight more years, and then they're done. The question is, will current legislators be grandfathered in, or at the end of their term, if they've served the 20 years plus, will they be out at that point? How does, how, what's, what's the language dealing with that? So, um, and I don't know if you were able to attach the actual language I sent you earlier or not for people to read, but maybe you could put it in the comments or the chat, but um, yes. Yeah, so we purposely uh, wrote it to where um, once uh, the effective date is, you know, enacted with this, um, legislators who are currently holding office can finish their term and then they will be ineligible. So if they had already served 12 years, 
Um, once this takes effect, they'll finish that term and then they will have to take their six year break. If they've already been at 20 years, then at that point, they'll finish their term and then they will be ineligible to run or be appointed to office. And of course, we did that on purpose because the, that's the, that's the whole problem, right, is we don't want someone to be able to restart the clock and, and go 20 years more when they've already been in there 20 years, heaven forbid. You know, and yet we've had politicians that have been in there, um, not not our state legislature, but we've had, you know, some politicians we know of in Alaska that have been in there, you know, a long, long time in, in certain offices. So, um, yes, absolutely. We we have it to where it's written as having served or already have served. Um, they will finish the term they're in and then they will be ineligible to run again. So um, some people have asked me in the past, they've said, you know, elections are term limits. No, elections are not term limits. It would be great if they were, but they're really not. And here's why. You have someone who's been in there for sometimes as, as few as four years, you know, but especially those that have been in there in the 12 plus year range, they wield a lot of power with their committee assignments. They are well known. They have a ton of name recognition. They have the party, uh, both parties, Republican and Democrat sometimes, in my opinion, and for my observations and dealings, they have, and me and Michael were just talking about this in the break, they have the parties kind of beaten into submission or in a, an abusive relationship, in my opinion, to where they are, the parties are giving these career politicians funds and money that the, sometimes they don't even need, they didn't even ask for, they disregard the party that they're from, and the party leadership at the top is still giving them money. And that is a completely unfair advantage to any person who wants to run for office. And I don't care who it is. I would love to see more of a citizen legislature to where people are changing out more often, bringing more ideas to the table, not I've been here for 12 years. I've been here for 20 years. This is how it's done. That is wrong. We as the people are governed by the people, not governed by the career politicians. We, it shouldn't be that way. Another thing, businesses have been scared of funding new people because the all the APOC donations, of course, that's all visible public knowledge. That's good. But if they fund a new person, even if they really think that new person is going to do well and has great ideas, they fund the new person, the incumbent sees that if they win, boom, that business or that industry or whatever could be given less money or not talked to or treated poorly by the incumbents because, wow, you gave my opponent in the race money. And therefore, in this last race, I was able to meet with a lot of different groups. Some of them gave me money. They were really impressed. My opponent didn't even ever get back with them, didn't even talk to them. And they gave him money because they didn't want to be right. uh, shut in the closet. They, they wanted, just in case I didn't win, even though they really liked what I had to say and, you know, all these other things, they give me money and then they give the exact same amount to my opponent who did nothing, didn't ask for it, didn't need it. And at that point, they might as well not have given money to either of us because 
you give two two people five hundred dollars and it cancels each other out, right? Right. So when people say elections are term limits, no, right. not really. Well, because you're you're speaking of the yeah, you're yeah, speaking to the power of the incumbency, right? I mean, that's the power of the incumbency. Uh, it's it's baked into the system. That's uh, this is a you know, like you said, you don't want to alienate everybody, so you give everybody money. It 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 doesn't make any sense. You're covering all your bases at that point, but the power of the incumbency trumps all at that point. Yeah. And so that has really, really, especially fiscally, in my opinion, damaged our state. Look at the cuts that our state Senate just made. They got everything they wanted, by the way. And and look at the cuts they've made. They didn't make any cuts except for to your PFD and the people's money, right? And everything else, they increased the BSA. They gave, gave themselves raises. They All these other things, they tempted some House members with $35 million. Well, what about all the billions that they were able to, you know, put into where they wanted it? Right. You know, that is the power of people ask me, well, you know, why do these people want to stay career politicians? Is it for the money? And I'm like, I don't really think it's for the salaries. No. I mean, yeah, now they're trying to increase it even more. But really, uh, that's not like they're getting, in my opinion, super rich off of, you know, their their salary. No. But the power that they get to hold, they get pretty much any assignment they want when they've been in there for 20 years. They get to take and direct billions of dollars how they want it. Sure. And then this time they don't even actually work with the other body. I mean, how like that is just very poor sportsmanship and working with the other side. They completely screwed the, the house and and not just the house, but the people. And for that level of arrogance, that needs to be switched out. And if the people, again, that I don't blame anyone for not wanting to run against some of these incumbents. It's you get called all sorts of horrible names. You, it, it is very stressful night and day. You're away from your family. You know, all, all my district was so big. You're on road trips all, all the time. And and then you lose to someone who sometimes is barely even trying but they have this war chest of money outraised uh, outraised in money by five times you know there's name recognition um it is very hard for the people to change out some yeah. of these uh players and so therefore i think term limits as well as getting rid of the rigged ranked choice voting that clearly favors <laughs> not the passionate people i was at this event with kelly chewbacca in fairbanks the other day um, who signed my petition, which is awesome. And um, every person I talked to at that event, every person signed this uh, this initiative. We only need 100 signatures for it to go to, um, and I think we're already there, but to go to get turned back into lieutenant governor. Then they print the booklets, and they're going to send us back, you know, the, the thousands of signatures that we need in the booklets. Right. But I was at this event, and, and Kelly was talking about how, um, you know, we put up these candidates, and then we have sometimes the parties that are giving money to their opponents, even if the candidates are, you know, elect uh, or endorsed and their opponents aren't, you have um, ranked choice voting, which is clearly rigged to not help the passionate um, conservative or even maybe liberal people get elected. It's, it's really to help the moderates and, and that's not good. Um, she asked the question, you know, who, who would we rather have in Congress? a bunch of Aaron Burrs or a bunch of Hamiltons. You know, Hamilton, he had some out there ideas, but he was passionate. 
you know, Aaron Burr tried to please everyone. And who remembers Aaron Burr? Who has statues or plays of Aaron Burr? No, he was the bad guy that, you know, shot Hamilton. <laughs> but like, right. you know, we need people that are passionate. We don't need people that try to cover their bases, you know, go right down the middle. You know, you change happens when we have people that are invest in Alaska that are passionate right. about their constituents and want to do a good job, not just sit in their wheeled power for year after year after year. Right. And sometimes not even live in their district. Well, you change, know, wrong. change comes from the change comes from the edges, right? I mean, that's really where change comes from, not from the middle, not from the moderate, not from the business as usual crowd change comes from the edges, whether it's left or right. And that's what, that's what happens. Uh, Elijah, the booklets you're saying right now, you've collected the signatures or are collecting the signatures to get the booklets printed. Walk us through the process. Where are we at right now? Yep. So we have, um, our pr three prime sponsors, which again was myself, um, Heath Smith from Homer and Trevor Shaw from catch can. Um, we have to only collect a hundred signatures. These are kind of sponsor signatures, they call them, but really it's just showing that there's enough support for this to go statewide. And, and so we needed a hundred. We're, we're going to blow it out of the water and, you know, just get 140, which has not been hard. I got 35 signatures in one night. Um, uh, sorry, in one hour, <laughs> really. And, and, uh, and so anyways, we're going to get a, about 140 cause they have to screen through them and, and make sure. And, um, so then they'll have two months. The Lieutenant governor's office has two months to, uh, and they don't have to take two months and we're hoping they, that they won't, but they have two months to make a decision. Then at that point, um, they will tell us yes or no. And then they'll start printing the booklets. Many of you have signed probably the ranked choice voting repeal booklets. They're a green booklet. Um, they're going along, going around statewide. If you haven't uh, gotten the chance, I have one. Many others have one. You know, let us know if you want to sign. Um, and that's to get it back on the ballot so we can get rid of ranked choice voting. But this will be the same thing. So once it's done, uh, we need a total of it's 10% of the la of people that voted in the last district to get it on the statewide ballot which comes out to 26,704 and so of course you want to get a couple thousand extra just in case some of the signatures you know people have moved or you know are ineligible or whatever and so and then you have a full year to collect those um signatures so hopefully this will get back to us by the end of july early august and then we're gonna um we have a lot of volunteers anyone who would like a booklet Please contact me or Heath or Trevor uh, or, or go through Michael and try to, to, to contact us. But at that point, we'll be giving out these booklets um, statewide. We need to collect, um, again, 10% of the people that voted in the last election. We need that equates to 7% from each district, um, state house district, or um, just a certain percentage of 75% of the districts. So some of the districts that might be a little harder to get to the rural ones or something. I'm in a rural district. My my district won't have any problem. We only need uh, district 36 only needs 557 signatures. Um, I know we we easily surpassed that with the ranked choice voting repeal signatures, and I know we will with uh, with um, term limits as well. But anyway, so then each district um, will be keeping track of this, but we need uh, a certain percentage of each uh, or, or of 75 percent of the district. So, right. again, maybe if there's people up in Utiagvik that want to get this going, that's great. 
However, we don't have to go to the harder districts if we don't, you know, if there's not as much interest out there. Um, so anyways, that'll, we have a full year to gain those signatures. And so we'll be doing parties and barbecues and all these things. And really it doesn't take super long to come and sign something. Right. You know? No, so exactly. It goes quick. But it's you know, a heavy, I it's up, still a heavy lift. I mean, it's still a heavy lift to get all those signatures. So you got to get it done. It is, and that's the most difficult part of it. Elijah, how yeah. do folks get a hold of you? Give me your final, we're wrapping up here. Give me your final uh, thoughts here and how do folks get a hold of you? Yeah. So if you can uh, maybe write this in the thing, um, my email is just my name run together. Elijah Verhagen, all lowercase run together at gmail.com. So Elijah Verhagen at gmail.com. You can email me. Um, and then also I have a Facebook page. Um, it's uh, Elijah Verhagen for Alaska. Um, so message me on there or um, send me a friend request uh, to my personal page if you want. But uh, would love would love help. We need to gather uh, some troops to that want the booklets, and then we'll be able to start uh, <laughs> gathering these signatures. Maybe it, it is going to be a lot of work, but at the same time, uh, again, I have yet to talk to one person about this that hasn't been willing to sign, and that's some of my liberal friends as well. Uh, one of my liberal friends helped me with some of the language and totally supported yeah. term limits. No, I think this is a bipartisan issue, and I think it would be good to see. Uh, maybe they could carry two booklets, the RCV and the term limits at the same time. That's, There's nothing, stop- doing. Yep. Yep. nothing stopping you from doing that. Elijah Verhagen, our guest, thank you so much for coming on board and joining us today. We appreciate you being part of it. Thank you. All right, folks, we're up against it. we got more coming up. The Michael Duke Show. Common Sense, Liberty-based, free-thinking radio. We return to more right after this. We're broadcasting live through a series of tubes. Allowing all of these entities to provide streaming stuff going on on the the, the Internet. Well, it's kind of hard to explain. Sorry. Streaming live every weekday morning on Facebook Live and MichaelDukesShow.com. Okay, Uh, we're in the break right now. Elijah Verhagen uh, finishing up with us here. We want to say thank you to him for being part of it uh, with us today. Um, Good discussion. I mean, I think, you know, I think if anything else is proven there is that power is one hell of a drug. We'll give Elijah the final. uh, We'll give him. He's still on the line here. We'll give him a final uh, um, uh, bite at this apple, so to speak. I got to push a million buttons here. Uh, So, Elijah, your final thoughts here as we get ready to wrap up with you. Yeah, I I just appreciate you having me on. Um, You know, really, we can sit and be frustrated with politics, which happens to me daily, (laughs) and do nothing, or we can get involved. And so, man, there's so many battles that I've fought in politics and lost, and many a time you feel like giving up. But if we give up, what's the alternative? We keep on getting ruled by corrupt people that don't have our interests at heart. And so staying involved or getting involved is the most crucial thing. You know, uh, we had the lowest voter turnout that we've had in 30 years in Alaska um, this last go around. And, and that's sad. And I think, uh, and, and this was part of the presentation Kelly did as well, I think many people did not like ranked choice voting. It was confusing. And so I think that's a big part of the problem. But also so many people, so many people say, ah, it doesn't even matter. My vote doesn't even matter. Oh, yeah. And, you know, the people don't represent me anyways. Or I elect a Republican or a Democrat and they vote the same way. 
Well, that's sadly true sometimes in our state. And so, uh, but but your vote does matter. We were we were under 50% by a, by a decent amount in some districts. And so really staying involved, bare minimum voting, but getting involved, I think will definitely help. When the legislature, oh, oh that, that was one thing I wanted to say. People have said, well, the legislature has a term limits bill. Didn't you see that? I'm like, yeah, some freshman legislators on both sides, which I think is great, came together and they put, not near strict, but they put a, a state term limits um, resolution out there that that if passed by the legislature would go on the state ballot. Um, and I said, do you think the people at the top, you know, the Burt Stedman's, right. Stevens, Click Bishops, do you think they would ever allow this to pass their gate? Heck no. You know they yeah. won't. Yeah. And so that bill is dead in the water. And so we have to take action by the people if we want to get these things done. Most of the other term limits that have passed in other states were by initiative by the people. They weren't ter- uh, legislators putting it on themselves. In fact, two states, the the senator, the legislators had the gall to shoot down after it was already enacted, which they have. They have to get a, a high percentage. I think it's the three quarter, but they actually sh- took away what the people put on them. And that, wow, like <laughs> I really hope those people revolted and did not reelect some of those people that did that years back. But um, most of them have stayed in, in contact. I mean, in, um, in most of the states have kept their term limits once passed. And I really do think that our state can tremendously benefit from it. Yeah, no, absolutely. I mean, are the lunatics uh, running the asylum? You think they're going to hand the keys over willingly to the guards and the nurses? No, that's not going to happen. Um, and that's what we have here. They've got the fox in the hen house and they don't want to be kicked out. So yeah, you're never going to see, you're never going to see that pass at a legislative level uh, here in the state of Alaska anyway, based on everything that's happened uh, so far. Well, we uh, wish you the best of luck, and we hope to hear from you. How long until these booklets could get printed? I mean, once you turn in the 100 signatures, how long does it take, do you think? So we're planning to turn them in early next week, and then they have up to two months. Um, they have to, you know, make a decision before then. So, um, yeah, August is probably the earliest, early August. And But, again, they could, and some, you know, they've they've approved it sooner than two months. So we're hoping. But, yeah, we plan to turn it in next week, early next week, and then hopefully have them by August. And this only affects the House, right? This is not the this is nothing else. This is only the I mean, uh, the legislature. It only affects the legislature. Governor already has his own term limit set. So this is just for the legislature. Yeah. Yep. All right. Well, Elijah Verhagen, thank you for doing all the hard work. We appreciate it. As I said uh, previously, Power is one hell of a drug, and we need to basically stop the supply. That's what needs to happen here. So thank you for coming on board and being part of it today. I appreciate it. All right. Thank you. All right. Uh, Elijah Verhagen, uh, our guest here on the program. All right. We're about a minute out here from rejoining the radio, getting ready to uh, get things rolling on. And uh, we'll, uh, I don't know, I'm going to pontificate here for a bit before we uh, before we run out the clock for tomorrow. Um, yeah, no, I mean, I think Elijah again was a great candidate. He's a, he's a good guy. He does a lot of hard work and what happened to him in that district was, I gotta say nothing short of criminal, uh, when it was all said and done. And a lot of that goes right back at the feet of the Republican party. Now I'm not a Republican and I've never been a Republican, although I've identified with them in many ways and in many causes and in many, you know, we're in common cause, I guess I should say. 
in total. But the Republican Party has got a huge, huge um, amount of responsibility in the situation that we're seeing right now. Um, it's so frustrating. Let's talk about that. Up next, The Michael Duke Show. Okay, final segment uh, here um, on the program. And I guess we just kind of, we're going to revisit the topics from today. Is this a heavy lift? Is it a heavy lift to get ranked choice voting or to get term limits on the ballots and to get them to pass? Absolutely. Is there a possibility? Absolutely. It can be done. Um, I agree with Elijah's point, uh, uh, and I don't know if it was during the break or or, uh, or uh, during the, the radio broadcast, but he was talking about the uh, he was talking about the the lowest turnout. I mean, the lowest turnout in 30 years. And quite honestly, I think it's because many people, I think some of it was ranked choice voting. I think there was a lot of confusion on that. Now, I agree that ranked choice voting in its mean is not that hard to understand if you took the time to, to look at it and understand it. We tried to explain it on this show many, many times. But for many people who are not politically motivated, who are not into politics or into what's going on, they were just like, oh, too confusing, and they threw their hands up. But I also think there's a huge selection of um, – uh, I also think that there's a huge uh, section of people who basically – have just uh, given up because maybe because they're tired of the whole left-right dichotomy. Maybe they're tired of the divisiveness and the polarization in in the politics in America. Maybe they're just you know they're just frustrated. They're they're they don't you know they're they're tired. Or maybe they feel as he said that they just like that their vote doesn't matter. That what they say doesn't matter. Maybe that's why. You know, people like us who are smaller government people, smaller government conservatives, Republicans, libertarians, you know, unaffiliated, whatever, who believe in more of the small and more limited government. Maybe that's why we've fallen into a smaller and smaller minority, because many people who've been, I mean, like I said, I've been talking about this stuff for 20 years. 20 years. And it's, it is frustrating. It is disheartening to see the same things, you know, the things that you warn about, the things that you discuss and talk about. It's frustrating to see those things, um, you know, not be to not be able to to affect that kind of change. It's it's very, very frustrating. And again, the circular kind of firing squad thing as well, where. Somebody doesn't do things exactly the way that you want to do, and so you basically want to burn their house down verbally or whatever. That's not helping as well, you know. Um, 
Ever Elijah, for those of you on the radio who couldn't see, Elijah was in his car and there are people like, are you, is he homeless? Is he homeless? No. He said he's in his car outside of his house because he was trying not to wake up his kids and his wife because he talks loud. He's like, uh, you know, I'm a family man and we need these types of people involved in politics. That's, But that's the kind of that's the kind of snide remarks you get because, oh, he's doing this from his car. Well, so what? But we have a tendency. Here's here's why the Democrats continue to win. Here's why the progressives across America and here in Alaska, it's not the Democrats really that are running the show. It's more the big government folks, which include a bunch of Republicans. But overall, if you want to won't know why the progressives have done so well in America, it's because for the most part, they don't snipe inwards. Right. They don't they don't snipe inwards. Um, and we are again, because we're, well, and this is, this is what I've talked about in the past, the difference between, uh, conservatives and liberals or progressives and conservative, whatever, whatever labels you want to throw on there is that one is very much a communal, um, you know, part of the crowd. It takes a village folks, you know, they're all willing to work together and all the folks who are mostly on the right are more rugged individualists. I don't play well with others. I mean, that's how I am. I mean, I get along with people, don't get me wrong, but when I'm doing something, I want to be in charge. I want to be the guy that's that's making things happen. I want to do that kind of stuff. And so it's the whole idea of, uh, it's the whole idea of we just, you know, we're rugged individualists and we're so individual sometimes that we forget the, you know, we forget that we're all trying to pull together in the same direction. But this whole thing with ranked choice voting, uh, the whole thing with the term limits, the whole thing with trying to make things, these are important things, folks, and we should be out there pulling it. We should be trying to re-engage those people who have thrown their hands up in the air and wandered off in the pucker brush. That's, that's the problem. We, we need to re-engage those people. We need to show, we need to give, and we, and we need to give them a win. We need to give them a win. So maybe if we are able to create, um, you know, have a petition and a proposition and initiative on the ballot for term limits, maybe that's a win. Maybe that engages more people. If we're able to get ranked choice voting uh, a proposition to repeal it on the ballot, maybe that's a win. Maybe that engages more people to say, oh, well, maybe we can fix this. But even if we can't, we've still got to engage those people and say, you know, we still need your help. Because otherwise it'll be fewer and fewer people participating. And then you know what will happen. The special interests will basically win the day because they're the only ones that are motivated through self-interest to go out and do things. That's, that's where we're at right now. It's, I mean, it is frustrating. I mean, I've been talking about it a lot lately, the whole, you know, doing this show for so long, saying the same thing over and over, you know, getting the, getting the thrill, quote unquote, of saying, I told you so, this is what was going to happen. I mean, it doesn't do anything for me. I just want more and more people to open up their eyes to see where this is ultimately taking us. Even the people who told Kevin McCabe, thank you for voting for the budget. We needed that. They need to look at this with fresh eyes and look and realize where this leads us down the road. Here's where it leads us to, folks. Final thoughts for the day. It leads us 
to a state that lives beyond its means. It leaves us to a PFD that is going to be gone in just a, I mean, from a handful of months to maybe four years, five years. It leads us to more, to taxation, to more taxation. Once they tax the PFD out of existence, then they'll have to have another form of tax to do it because, uh, you know, to pay for all their, their big idea spending. And it leads us to the point to where government reigns supreme in every aspect of the economy in the state of Alaska. The private economy then becomes permanently subservient to the public economy. I mean, I wish more people could think long term that way, but they just, it's one year to the next, or they don't even think about it till election day, and then they vote, and then they forget about it for another year. It's... You know, it is what it is. We cannot stop fighting. That's my thought. Don't stop never stopping. All right, folks, out of time. We will see you tomorrow. <laughs> God, I didn't realize Harold was a comedian. Politicians are honest as stick to their promises. You're all just naive. And Brian disagrees with me. He says, no, becomes. It's already subservient. I think in many ways you're right. I think it will become permanently subservient. There will be no way of getting out from underneath of it. The, the, the private economy will become permanently subservient to the public economy. Okay. Well... Folks, um, I mean, I know a lot of you are all bent out of shape at Kevin. At least Kevin is willing to come on and talk about these things. You say a lot of things. I might, I might have disagreed with him on this vote, but as of right now, he's still the best candidate in my district, and if the vote was held tomorrow, I would still vote for him versus somebody else. So deal with it. We'll move on. We're going to move on to the next one. And maybe he'll think about my words the next time a vote like this comes up. I mean, I don't know. We can only do our best at this point. I'm hoping the sun comes out today. I'm hoping the sun comes out. That's what I need, just a little bit of sunshine. All right, folks, thanks for coming in. We will see you tomorrow. Have a great day.
We've shed our terrestrial radio skin, and now we are slimy lizard internet people. It's the Michael Duke Show. 